Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about staying the course. And for those of you that may have not been with us for the first series, part of the series, number one, a quick review. Our lives are not measured by the duration of our lives, but by the donation of our lives. We talked about the investments that we make as we live on this earth are most important. Investing in the kingdom of God, investing in our marital relationship, investing in our children's lives, investing in the lives of others. Those are the most important things that we can do. Make right investments in these eternal things that have eternal rewards. Also, we talked about the Christian life is a fight. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul said. But then he also said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. Three words. Fight. I fought a good fight. Finish. I finished my course. Then faithful. I kept the faith. I was faithful to keep the faith. So the reason why he said there's a fight to the Christian walk is because we've got three influences coming against us constantly to get us off our course. And what are they? The devil, the world, and the flesh. And we all face the same three. And then we talked about denying ourselves to take up our cross and follow Jesus is part of our race that we run to. We've got to look to the pace setter who is Jesus. Then we talked about, number one, the cloud of witnesses. And they're not just in the grandstands cheering us on like so many think. Their lives witness, which gives testimony to the fact that the most important thing anyone can do is get off the course that they're on for their lives and get on the course that God has for their lives. And we singled out someone in particular by the name of Moses. I left one important detail out. I want to say it today, okay? Moses, we are told, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He refused wealth, fame, prestige, fortune, and the list goes on and on. Number two, he chose to suffer persecution with the people of God for a season. Instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin, he wanted to suffer persecution with the people of God. Number three, he esteemed the riches of Christ higher than anything the world has to offer. And number four, he had respect for the recompense of the reward. In other words, the reward that Christ gives is much greater and better than any reward you can get here upon this planet, is what he was saying. Well, we concluded with that. But then sometimes I left out this important detail. Pharaoh laughed at him. Pharaoh mocked him and says, you are giving up everything any human being would love to have in planet Earth. Anything and everything. And laughed at him. Mocked him. Guess what? On the Mount of transfiguration, 2,000 years later, he appears with Elijah and Jesus and the, before the disciples, who's laughing now? 2,000 years of eternal suffering, 2,000 years he's enjoying the bliss of the glory of God. There's a reward for serving the Lord with our lives. Amen. Then we talked about lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets us. I didn't realize the Lord was thinking about our weight. Have you dropped a few since Christmas? Lay aside the weight 
and the sin that so easily besets us. In other words, persistently threaten us. Every single one of us, a sin is, of course, probably the unbelief. The sin of unbelief is the main thing he's talking about because that's what Hebrews is all about. But then the weight, not necessarily sin, but things that weigh us down. Things that keep us from going forward in our walk with God. As we continue, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Let's read these verses again because we're going to pick up our next word. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, that's our next word, patience, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our next word in your notes is patience. Patience is persisting in a state, enterprise, or undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. And as I said, I believe Paul, the writer of the book of Hebrews, can you imagine what this man went through and what he experienced when he got off the course that he was on for his life and got on the course that God had for his life? Think about it. This man had prestige. This man had anything you could possibly want to have in the Hebrew religion and faith, Judaism. He was considered a scholar. Someone who had a high position, intelligent. As far as he said about himself, concerning the law, above reproach. Think about that. Blameless, he said. That's who he was. So he leaves the comforts of all this fame, all this prestige, all that he had. Gets off that course when he meets Jesus on the Damascus road. And what happens? He now faces persecution, affliction, threats beatings, and the list goes on and on. I said last week, there's only one man that suffered more than Paul, and that was Jesus. But let me correct that and say it the correct way. Only because Jesus became sin did he suffer more than Paul. Jesus one time had 39 stripes. Paul five times 39 stripes. Three times beaten with rods. Rods could be metal. Rods are made out of different kinds of hard wood. Rods were used to beat his body, but one of the most important areas that they chose to use against Paul was hang him upside down and get the rods and beat his feet until they broke the bones in his feet. Because they knew he traveled to go place to place to proclaim the good news of the gospel. He was left three times shipwrecked, left in a sea day and night, fastings, enduring the pressures of the churches and everything. This man was absolutely beaten and threatened more than any person upon the planet other than Jesus because of his becoming sin for us. But in the physical realm, nobody was beaten like Paul. And yet, he endured. And yet, he was persistent. He persevered. He continued in the enterprise of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though there was fierce opposition coming against him everywhere he went. Some things about patience. Look in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy 
When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, knowing something, that the trying of your faith works what? Patience. Patience meaning endurance. Patience meaning perseverance. Patience meaning being constant. No matter what the season, you're constant. No matter what you're going through, you're constant. It takes time to develop that in our Christian walk. And what do we do? Count it all joy. No one counts it joy when you're challenged. When you're going through trials and situations. But notice this. The trying your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work. That you may be perfect, mature, and entire, wanting nothing. We all go through trials. We all go through challenges. But remember James also said in James 1.13. Let no man say when he's tempted, tested, and tried that God's behind it. Because he tempts no man. He can't be tempted with evil. He tempts no man. But we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. That's when we're tempted, tested, and tried. It's not God who's the author of it. It's not God who's behind it. It's God who makes the way of escape from it, praise God. We have an enemy against us, as we said, the devil, the word, and the flesh. And if we yield to any of that, then we're going to fall. Okay, so when we're challenged, what are we supposed to do? Command joy in the situation, something contradictory to the way we would act as far as our feelings and emotions are concerned. But joy is our strength, and we'll talk about that later. Next one, look at Hebrews chapter 6 uh, and verses 11 and 12. Once again, I believe the Apostle Paul is speaking. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Notice, to the end. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There's a promise that lies ahead of us. It's the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the glorified state of our body that we're all striving for at some point in time. It's the rewards of eternal glory and all that God gives for us because we've served him with our lives. No matter what we've gone through on this side of heaven. It's faith and patience means you've got to see it through to the end. It's not how you start your race. It's how you finish your race that counts. Many have begun. And remember the theme of the book of Hebrews. They began with Christ, believing in his blood and redemption. But because of the persecution, because of being excommunicated from their synagogues, because their family members would turn them in, because of beheadings, being eaten by lions, saw, saw asunder, and so on and so forth, mm, you might be somewhat tempted to say, to say Okay, I renounce the, Christ, the, the, the blood of Christ. I renounce it. I'm going back into Judaism. You know, we see the same thing happening in other religions. They give you a chance. They put you in jail and say, renounce it or you die. We've never had to face that in America, have we? You renounce it or you die. And many renounced it. And they died. But then again, there are those that were in China. Underground churches. And they came in with their guns. And pointed them to their heads. And said, renounce Christ or die and they said go ahead I'm not renouncing Christ and they died we've got it easy here in America don't we we sure do look at the next one in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 35 and 36 once again the theme they're tempted to go back into Judaism Paul said many will depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and slip away one by one, little by little, one step at a time, getting a little bit further, a little bit further, creating more distance and more distance and more distance and more distance. And before you know it, they're so far away from the Lord that they're vulnerable. Look at this. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, 
which has a great recompense of reward. What was Moses looking for? What did he have respect for? The recompense of the reward. For you have need of what? That, you, that after you have done the will of God, you need patience. After you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now remember, he goes on to say, we're not those that go back into perdition. We're those that bleed to the saving of the soul. He's talking about the eternal well-being. That's what he's referring to. If you renounce the blood of Jesus Christ and you go back into Judaism, you'll be lost forever. He's warned them twice, big time, even more so in this book to the Hebrews about going back into Judaism and renouncing the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't do it. There's no other way you can get to heaven. There's no other way you can be free from your sin. All right. The next word is the word race. How many of you know that you're running a race? Did you get up and stretch this morning? Did you? Did you take your vitamins this morning? Did you put on your exercise clothes this morning? Sometimes we just neglect to understand the fact that we're all running in a race. But guess what? You're not running against anybody else. It's your race to run. It's my race to run. And we're on the course running our race. And we've got three enemies trying to get us off course. The devil, the world, and the flesh. All three trying to distract us to get us off the course, to deviate from the track, get over to this way, go over to that way, whatever, to keep us from staying on course with God. Our focus and attention should be straightforward. We're striving for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, and at the end of our race is eternal glory. But these three forces are coming against us to get us off our course. And you know what? There's all kinds of temptations out there to get us off course. And anybody can fall victim. One of the biggest lies that Satan has ever told anyone, and in particular believers, is that God is in control of everything. There was someone years ago that um, I saw in the hospital. We saw, I believe, together in the hospital. And the person hadn't been in church for some time. And while being there at the hospital during the visit, I asked the question, you know, why? They hadn't been in church. He hadn't been in church. Well, there's something you said that highly offended me. And that's why I haven't come back to church. Of course, I always want to know, what did I say that highly offended you? Well, I've been taught all my Christian life and experience that God controls everything. And you said, one Sunday morning, God is not in control of everything. So therefore, I felt that was heresy, and I'm, I hadn't come back to church. And I said, oh, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you really think that God controls human behavior on earth? Do you think he's behind murder? You think he's controlling someone who's been raped? Is he the one making all these things happen in people's lives? Well, no. I said, well, then he's not in control of everything, is he? And he stopped and looked at me and said, hmm, I never heard it that way before. Look, God's in control of the overall plan. We understand that. But if God was in control of every person and what every person does, you'd pay your tithe this morning.
thought I'd throw that out there for a little bit. If God was in control of everything that happens on planet earth, why did Jesus say, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven? Anybody know the crime rate in heaven? Does anybody know how much hatred there is in heaven? What about, is there any violence in heaven? Any rape? any murder, any robbery, and the list goes on and on and on. Is any of that occurring in heaven right now? Absolutely not. Well, if that's not happening, and he said, pray thy kingdom come, that will be done in earth as it is in heaven, then God's will is not being done in earth as it is in heaven. And he wants that to happen. And it's really going to happen when he comes Praise God. There's coming a time, my brother and my sister, when Jesus comes to this earth and sets up his kingdom on earth and reigns as the prince of peace. There's not going to be any more sorrow, any more sighing, any more crying, any more dying, any more woes, any more rape, any more murder, any more violence, any more hatred, any more animosity, any more bitterness, any more anything that pertains to the kingdom of darkness. Because when Satan for 1,000 years is eliminated from human contact, praise God, the animal kingdom is going to be at peace with each other. No one will say, I am sick during that time. Wow. And you'll still be considered a baby at 100 years old. How about that? A baby at 100 years old. Don't really know anything yet. But read it. It's in your Bible. That's what it says. So think about it. So you see, we're running a race, every single one of us. And our desire is to finish our course as Paul did in faith, fighting this good fight of faith and overcoming all the challenges that we face. But we have an adversary. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. We have an adversary. And who is he? The devil. So let's look at it. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. First, let's stop for a moment. Let's read that verse. Because your adversary, the devil, as, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Did you know while he's walking, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose hearts are upright before him? Seeking whom he may, may means whoever gives permission to him to devour. You realize he may not devour anyone without their permission? It's up to the individual to give permission. Remember in Ephesians 4 and verse 27 when Paul said, Give no place, no territory, no access, no entry points to the devil. And what did he point out in those verses? Things like lying, things like stealing, things like words that are non-productive, things like bitterness, unforgiveness, etc., etc. He said all those things give place to the devil. Ang being angry and 
don't sin, meaning that uncontrolled anger can give place to the enemy. So give him no access, give him no entry points, don't allow it, is what he basically saying. If you recall also Jesus, when he was here on earth talking to Peter before he left, he said, I'm giving you the keys to the operation of the kingdom. And the keys means authority. I'm giving you authority and you've got the keys, not key, singular, but the keys to open up every door of heaven. Praise God for your benefit so that you can experience the fullness of all that I have provided for you. So we've got authority to shut the devil out. What you allow will be allowed. What you disallow will be disallowed. What you permit will be permitted. What you refuse to permit will not be permitted. So in other words, he is saying it like this to us. I've given you the keys. I've given you the authority to shut the door to the devil and all of his antics, all of his wiles, anything he'll bring your way. You've got to remember this. You've got the authority and power over it. We can stand against it. There was this uh, young lady when I was at school and someone asked her to come and talk to me. I don't know why they talked to me for some reason. I don't know why. And I said, okay, I would talk to her. And she said to me, she will never, ever, ever walk with God or serve God ever again. And I said, why? She said, because doesn't the Bible say, and you know what, these half statements is, they're unbelievable. Gullible people believe them because they don't really take their Bible to heart and read thoroughly through what the scripture is really saying. God said he wouldn't give me above what I'm able. I, re I know she was talking 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I know she was referring to that. And you know what? God took my baby. God took my baby. And I went, I went to preacher after preacher, including full gospel preachers. And they told me, this is what they told her. God's in control. God needed another flower in heaven. God needed another angel in heaven. Can I say, share something with you? When you die and go to heaven, you're not a flower. When you die and go to heaven, you're not an angel. You are a recreated human being in the likeness and image of God. You are a masterpiece by his design, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And when you get there, you will shine as the stars of heaven. Because that's who you are. And, I, and these people that said to her, God just needed your baby. Now listen, this happens to people. And she said, because he did it, I will never serve him again. Never will I walk with him again. Accusing God, blaming God for doing something the devil did or a disease did. And listen, when man fell in the very beginning, before he fell, there was no sickness or disease. After he fell, he brought it into this realm of life in which we live. God wasn't the author of it. Satan was. Okay, the kingdom of darkness is. Don't blame God for what the devil did in Adam and Adam's response to what he did in the fall. People die from sickness and disease, birth defects, and the list goes on and on. Why? Because of Adam's sin from the very beginning. It doesn't even mean they sinned. It just means we're living in an atmosphere in which there's bacteria, germs, etc., etc., brought into this world by the fall of man. What else can prove it better than this? When Jesus emerged upon the scene way back in AD 30 to 33, when he walked upon this earth in Galilee, starting there at the shores of Galilee, everywhere he went, they brought to him every sick person they could find. And when they brought them to him, he healed every one of them. He healed more people in three and a half years of public ministry than was ever healed in all mankind in one week. 
You know what he said? I've come to do the will of my father. And with compassion, everywhere he went, with compassion, he healed the sick and set the captives free. He was absolutely adamant against sickness and disease. He does not use it. It's not part of his plan. You can open up the door to it. We certainly can, but God doesn't want it. It's up to us to stand against it. We try to do so with the medical field. Do we not? Aren't doctors opposed to it? Don't they want you to get better? Don't they provide means by which you can get better? What does that show? That God, that medical science, we're all fighting for the same thing, the health of mankind. And so we use every resource that we possibly can to get better because God wants us well. So if we give the enemy permission, that young lady, I never found out what happened to her, but I could not convince her that God didn't do it. And she was given the enemy permission to make her think the way she was thinking. And because of it, she was choosing to do exactly what he wanted her to do, not serve God ever again. Now, as tragic as that is, that woman still has to live. She has a life. She has a course. She has an eternity. And I pray that she came back. I pray that was just a seed that, was watered, that someone watered and God gave the increase in her life to make her realize God did not steal your baby. God did not take your baby. Let me just say this too about, the, about this situation. It would be an act of selfishness on the part of God to say, I need you now before you live your life to be with me when he could have that child for eternity. How selfish would that be? He can have that child for eternity. You're going to deny that child 80 years on this earth, 90 years on this earth, 100 years on this earth? It's ridiculous. But Satan has really come up with all these lies that people embrace and believe. It's time to stand against them. It's time to resist. Jesus said, if you continue my word, you're my disciple indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Knowing the truth, entering into it, experiencing it, walking in the light of it will make you free. Look at the next word, point five. The next word is looking. What are we looking at? To whom are we looking? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It means to fix your gaze upon. It means to focus on, give our attention to. To whom? To Jesus. Why? Because he's the one who's the author. He's the one who's the perfecter of our faith. If we're going to finish our course, we have to have a pace setter. Who's our pace setter? Jesus. We could be looking over here to the left, looking over here to the right. Oftentimes in scripture, we'll be told, don't look to the left and don't look to the right. Stay focused and look right on. When Jesus came to the point where he was about to finish his course, the Bible said he set his face like a flint to go where? To Jerusalem. For what reason? To die a death. So horrific. So horrible. That the Roman lictor looked up and said he didn't even appear to be human-like when he saw him on that tree. But yet he focused his attention, face like a flint, to go to Jerusalem. That's the end of my course, and I will follow it. Along the way, he stopped at the rock in the garden. Got on his face on that rock. And when he did, he was sweating as if it were blood. Why? Because he was going to die physically. Because he was going to be on a cross. You know how many died that way? Multitudes. Our Savior is not a wimp. He knew he was about to become sin. We don't understand that. Can you imagine this? The sin of the world. 
whoever was, whoever is, whoever will be, was poured, heaped into him on that tree to a degree that he cried out, my God, he never called his father God. Up to that point, he always called him father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine that scream, that cry when he became sin and experienced something that he could never know? But you know what? He did it for you. He did it for me. We should have been on that tree. We should have suffered the pain he suffered eternally. And what he suffered was for a short time for you and me so we could be eternally free. But on that tree, that's what he became. Sin for you and me. Out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation to make us kings and priests before our God that we might reign with him in all the earth. Who are do we look to? The paysetter. It says in Hebrews, you haven't strived against sin unto blood. But he did. He did. We don't have to in America. We have very little persecution. Not like in other countries. But when it comes to standing against sin, we got to look to him. Follow his example. Let him set the pace for the course of our lives. Look at some of these things. Someone who is really on course with God is hungry, hungry to do the will of God. Do you want to do the will of God? When anyone ever sets out to do the will of God, you'll be sorely challenged. When I left Youngstown, Ohio to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, no one wanted me to go. And I'll be honest with you. I've shared this many times before, my personal experience. When I first got saved, I worked in the mill. And in that mill, I worked up in a mill crane. And I never had a problem ever, 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 ever in a mill crane with fear. After I got saved, gave my heart to Jesus, started following his plan for my life. One day, I'm in that crane. It's overnight. It's 11, 11 to 7 in the morning shift. I'm working the night shift. And I'm about to go to my bay to get, it's, a, it's 30 feet up there. I'm, I'm taking my crane over to the bay to get down this long set of steps, steel steps to go down to really get relieved by my buddy. He'll take the crane over when I leave. And while I was sitting there in that crane cab, a spirit of fear took over the whole entire cab. Never before did I experience this kind of fear. I was shaking with fear, almost afraid to get out of the cab and walk down the stairs. It was so real that you could almost touch it. And I'm walking out the back. I never go the other way because it's closer for me to go out the back way, but the back way is where there's trains, train yards back there and all that. And I mean, it was dark and all that. And I'm telling you, this fear is following me. I finally got home thinking, man, I, it's, it's late, took a shower, I'm going to go to bed. I lay down on my bed when all of a sudden I looked up and there was this same spirit of fear that encompassed me and engulfed me. I was like a statue lying in that bed, could not move an arm, couldn't utter a sound, couldn't do anything. I was frozen. The thing came on me. I'm just saved. I'm just young in the Lord. I don't really know a whole lot. But in my innermost being, you know, your spirit man speaks. I kept saying, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. 
And as I kept saying that, then finally it came out of my mouth. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And boom, immediately that thing left and was gone. That was the first time I was contested. And then when I left to go down to Tulsa, same thing. But this time I have a deeper revelation of the power of the name of Jesus. This time I'm ready for any attack the enemy would bring my way. And so there I am. All I have, the, the, the company didn't bring our furniture. All I have is a mattress lying on the floor. I'm lying on a floor. When all of a sudden this same spirit, this time tries to get in my nose and mouth. Just takes a stab at it. But this time, I said, oh, no, you don't. In the name of Jesus Christ, out you go. And that thing left in fear. The scripture says, resist the devil, he will flee, which means run from you in terror. Why am I saying this? Because when anyone ever sets out to do the will of God, you will be contested. You'll be challenged. The enemy wants to know what stuff you're made up of. Okay? And that's exactly what happened with me. To get me off course, to stop me from going, to stop me from succeeding and continuing to do what God had called me to do. He will challenge you. Your flesh will challenge you when some of those needs aren't being met. And you've got to believe God in faith and by faith for them. And that brings us to the next point. Your life has to be governed by it is written. The enemy came along to tell Jesus, if you be the son of God, then, then do this. If you be the son of God, then do that. If you be the son of God, three times, what did he do? Challenge his identity. Let me sh share something from the very beginning. Do you know how Paul the apostle said that Satan appears as an angel of light? Okay. He appears, he's disguised. He's like, it's like a masquerade as an angel of light. And what he does, in other words, he puts on a mask or he puts on some kind of outfit, some kind of a mask. Like a masquerade party. You put a mask on. You can't see the face behind it because there's a mask there. And what he does, he makes something look real good. But behind it is something terribly awful and evil. That's what he did to Eve in the very beginning. You see that tree? Ooh, look at that. Guess what? She gave up everything for nothing. And didn't know it while she was doing it. And what did she do? Lost out of everything as a result of it. Why? A disguise. And when you disguise a mask, you don't show the truth that's behind it. It's exactly what he does to people that set out to do the will of God. Everybody told me, start a church in Youngstown, Ohio. That's where you came from. Guess what? That sounded so good to me. My family's there. 35 people. Well, there were 35 people at this church in downtown Midland when I came here. And that included the kids, cats, dogs, mice, everyone. That's what it was. Up there, and I don't know anybody here. Up there, I've got family. And if I have more family that could have joined the church, there were 35 people that weren't even family. Most of which. It looks so good. It looks so wonderful. Stay home. You're close to Wedgwood Pizza. You've got everything that you could possibly hope for. Your father, your mother, your family, the this, the, all that. It's all there. It looks good. See, it all looks good. You know what? Without getting further deep, full detail, I said, you know what? God didn't call me to stay there with 35 people and start a church. He told me to go to Midland 
And even though it didn't look like that was the right thing, it would, if you've been to Midland, there's no McDonald's near Midland. <laughs> the first thing I look for, is there a McDonald's here? How can you be on the map and there not be a McDonald's? 15 minutes away in any direction that you have to go to get to a McDonald's. That's, that's ludicrous. I lived a mile away. See, it didn't look good. And plus being that far away from Wedgwood, I mean, it was just torturous. Something looks good. Something doesn't look good. But guess what? There was a mask over there. See? And if I would have gone that way, and listen, someone else did exactly that who went to school where I went to school and started a church there and it did not succeed. Well, it looks good, but the end result is what we're looking for, right? Right. It's only God that causes success. If we do it our way, no success. So you're governed by it is written. You're led by the Spirit. You're regulated by agape love. These things are written here for you. You're concerned about the welfare of others. You're quick to repent and forgive. You abhor what is evil. You cleave to what is good. You give to prayer and study of the word. You're obedient in stewardship in all areas of spiritual discipline. You overcome temptation and you look for the return of Jesus. Are you looking for the return of Jesus? There is nobody I know in my existence who's looking for the return of Jesus more than Andrew Anzavino. Andrew is looking for his return every moment of every day. Will he come today? Will he come tomorrow? You think he'll come this summer? Because I heard about, the Bible says about, you know when summertime is here, then look up because it's, it's, it's drawing nigh. Just yesterday. He wants Jesus to come back. And we all do. But these are just some of the things. So who are we looking to? You're not looking at me. You don't want to look at me. You're not looking at anybody else. But who are we looking to? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that's next. But let's all stand together before the Lord.